Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. Today's episode, we're going to talk about support. As individuals, we can struggle and suffer through difficult times. These difficult times can occur when our communities or societies are impacted by the events around us. Now more than ever, it's important to explore what support really looks like. Support is connection. It's a universal need that really unites us all. However, it looks different for each of us. My needs for support very likely will look different in situations than Nicole's needs for support. There are different layers and different levels of support, and often each of our hearts want to reach out and support our neighbor, to support our partners, support our friends and our lovers, and sometimes we're left falling short knowing how. So today we're going to go a little bit deeper into some different possible ways to show support, some ways we may not think of and really look at how we ourselves personally need support. As all things, Jenna, you're highlighting how individual some of these words are and the meanings that we assign. And as I often do, I actually took a moment and I looked up the definition of support, mainly because I was interested um, in what good old Webster would say. Um, And I landed on three words, um, and those words are support. Of course, they can come in a noun or a verb form. And the verb of support means to assist or to help. It also means to endure or to keep going. And of course, the noun version of that is the offering of that action of providing support. And what you're talking about here to begin this episode is really important. Question becomes, how can we assist someone else in their suffering and in their difficult time to endure that or to keep going. When I hear each of those words that you just read from the dictionary definition of support, like assist or help and endure, I hear a common denominator in each of them that is connection. Each of those words, each of those descriptions of support require a level of connection with ourselves and then with another. Now, I think at our hearts as human beings, I know for myself, my immediate reaction is to to leap out, to want to grab someone who is aching or hurting or who is in need of help. And I think collectively as a world, especially as we watch so much of the world suffer, we do have a collective heart that also yearns for the same thing, that wants to do nothing but support our fellow neighbor and our partners and our friends and our lovers. Yet so often we fall short in knowing how or knowing that we even have the power or ability to make an imprint that would even be impactful or lasting, when in reality, even the smallest actions can leave the most lasting footprints. When we're talking about connection, I think what's you know important also to highlight here, not once did I hear you say, remove the problem. And I think a lot of us that becomes our instinctual from that very compassionate place, go-to response. Here, let me fix it. Let me solve the problem for you. Oh, I would do it this way. Oh, don't feel that way. Feel this way. Um, And those of us have, of course, been on the receiving end of that sort of communication. I can attest myself. It doesn't really feel supportive. Um, So when we're thinking about how to join in connection, because that very much is a, a core human need to be seen in our suffering, not to feel alone in it. For some of us, that is the support in and of itself. But not once again did I hear remove the problem. And I think, again, when we shift into that mode, it can really make the person in need of support, and if that's you who is in need of support listening, it can make us feel really unseen in that moment. 
I've never thought of it that way of jumping to remove the problem, which is so true that we we are a society that wants to fix and change. And that makes perfect sense, right? No one wants to see the world aching and hurting. So of course we'd want to fix that, though we can't argue with reality or it leaves us in a disempowered state when we do choose to argue with reality. I know for me in particular, when I'm grieving or I'm struggling for now, for example, you know, Jake died only three months ago and this morning, even before recording, I spent hours crying. Last night, I crawled into bed crying after hours of crying at night. And for me, support looked like just being seen and also being given space. And that's what I needed. I knew that I needed that support for myself. So I gave myself space. That's one example of showing self-support, me recognizing my own need and gifting that to myself. Now, being around other people, there's a whole nother aspect of being able to receive support. And receiving support from my partners ideally means that I'm articulating to them the kind of support that I need. And that obviously doesn't happen all the time. If I'm in a personal turmoil or grief, I may not be this wonderfully articulate Jenna saying, you know, Nicole, my heart's really shattered right now. I need you to hold me. I could maybe muster that up, but that's not what happens. We often fall into this autopilot as a society of casting and projecting these expectations on others and these external projections outward that the people around us should know how to support us and that beyond should knowing how to support us, they should also follow through and meet our own needs and show up in support of that. So speaking on the other end of, of this is Jenna's partner, of course, you know, had Jenna not said or, or indicated in any way that she needed that time or that space, I, I might not have known and, and I might have approached or wondered what what's wrong with Jenna? Why is she alone in her room right now? And maybe even personalized that. So holding space as a partner in those moments means having those communications, coming to understand what is needed and when, and then of course, tolerating the discomfort that might come up. So for someone, and I'll speak from my own journey, it's still difficult for me to see someone, especially that I love so dearly, struggling and to not want to help them, to not want to remove that feeling, to not want to see them in the same emotional state that I'm in. I tend to personalize that distance and maybe even take offense to it. And of course, the more Jenna and I get to know each other and understand these depths of ourself, the more than I have the ability, because through communication, to hold space, to talk myself then through the discomfort that might come up when I'm in the moment of actually gifting Jenna the space that she needs. And just flipping on the other side of things, sharing a personal example of expectations that I hold and an expectation that I continue to hold people responsible for, just like I was sharing earlier, is to remove my pain and suffering, to be right there in the depths of it with me, to feel it exactly as I do, and then to make us all feel better by making the problem go away. And very similar to Jenna, Last week, I had an entire day, more or less, where I was in a state of complete emotional and utter breakdown. I was going through my own grief around loss of my mom, and I just was in this state of overwhelm. And when my partners, you know, didn't make me feel better, because obviously they couldn't make me feel better, and when they weren't just sitting and crying in the depths of despair next to me, I felt angry, if I'm honest. I felt alone, and I felt like 
No one, quote unquote, cared about me. So I had this unspoken expectation that I'll be the first to admit that somehow Jenna and Lolly wave a magic wand and make my grief go away in the moment, actually solve the problem for me, not understanding in that moment like you're talking about. We can say this very logically from a podcast table. And when we're in that the throw of that emotion, sometimes it's that expectation that we are unconsciously or becoming more conscious over time as we do the work projecting onto others. And now I had this whole complicated, or that day I had this whole complicated mess now of my own grief and then my own anger because no one could take my grief away from for me. What Nicole may have verbally expressed that she needed that day was a closeness and a need for love and support. However, there was such misalignment with the behavior and actions and what was being said. And it's really powerful for me to witness moments like this and I imagine vice versa for both Lolly and Nicole, because we do know each other really well. So we can also see when the other person isn't present or grounded in themselves and is sort of hijacked by this pain body and that overwhelming feeling of emotion and grief that really does come in like a tidal wave and can knock you to the ground. And this day in particular, you know, towards the end of the day, it, we all have high emotions. We have a lot going on over here. And it was evening time. I was sitting in the bed working. We we're, you know, working, editing, writing our workbook for a big deadline the next day. And I felt awful. My heart ached because, Nicole, you were so upset. And I heard you crying in the other room. And I still pressed through working. We'd already dealt with it kind of throughout that whole day. And I also knew what needed to be done needed to be done. We had to send an email off to someone that evening. And when you came back into the room, my heart sank and I had to find a boundary for myself too, because you came back in after this upset and crying, declaring that we had banished you to the other side of the house and said, you know, don't you hear me in there wailing? You banished me to the other room and everyone has just left me and my jaw just dropped. And I was like, okay, that actually made the moment so much easier for me because I could see the pain that you were in. And while it hurt, I also understood, okay, Nicole, I didn't banish you. I have been there to support you all day, though I do understand when this emotion starts to swirl like a cyclone, it becomes so overpowering that while the very thing that you needed was support, you made sure that day to keep a 10-foot pole with daggers between yourself and the support that you needed. You're absolutely right, Jenna. What I truly needed in that moment is to be seen in my pain and to just have someone stand next to me, hold me through it. Though all of my past experiences over time really have not have not been that. I have been so used to sanctioning myself off emotionally, always being nothing bothers Nicole, never really showing someone my pain and my suffering. There's actually a deep sense of threat, a lack of safety because it's unfamiliar to be seen in my pain. So when we're talking back to the definition of supporting someone, right? Standing by them, helping them to endure. That means being comfortable enough and safe enough to be a space where feelings can live. Um, and as the person who needs to receive support sometimes to work through then the discomfort of being seen in a vulnerable state, to actually take down the walls and say, you know what, I'm not okay right now. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I expect you to do except for just allow what I'm feeling to be, not to argue it, not to tell me when it's going to go away, just to allow it to be present in what is here now. 
It sounds so beautifully and simply put. And I know so often we're in those moments you can't access that. You're in need of support. You're in need of love. And those words aren't there. That articulation isn't there. And quite honestly, we may not know what it is that we need. Being able to be in the space of someone else's emotion, someone else's anger, their hurt, their upset, their grief. Even yesterday, I scanned over an article that was referencing the word died. I think the title of it was, you know, my my son didn't pass. I didn't lose him. He died. And I had to think about it and realized how often I have even taken away using the word died or dead or death when I refer to Jake, because I'm so aware of the other person's experience and putting them through discomfort that I then stop speaking my own truth and my own reality. And being able to be in a space to hold space, to just be space, to allow someone to express whatever is coming up, to not take it personal, takes a lot. It takes a lot of courage. It also takes a lot of connection to yourself. I would imagine it's almost near impossible. I don't think anything is impossible at all, though very near impossible to witness and comfort someone else's emotion and feelings when we ourselves actually never sit through our own feeling and emotion. I know even with this grief, when it comes up, I've discovered new depths that ache in a way I have never felt before. And I have experienced a lot of personal tragedy. And I'm very mindful to allow that to come through when days or moments like yesterday, really these last three weeks where it's really been hitting me, when that comes up, I do make space and I do allow myself to feel it because at this point, I'm very aware of the fact that those emotions are quite literally swirling around in my body, in my cells. They're not going anywhere. If I ignore them and continue to push them down and push them down, they're going to go and get pushed down, which is just going to compress them even more and really ignite their eruption later on. And I've gotten so many messages and DMs from people who have reached out, you know, particularly around grief and Jake's death, expressing that our conversations about it really you know, ripped off a threshold or a Band-Aid for them and allowed them to pour out tears or these aches or sorrows that they've held in for literally decades, maybe mourning or grieving someone that died 30 years ago, and they're doing it now for the very first time. Those emotions were stored in there from that when that first happened. If we don't allow ourselves to feel them, they're still going to come up at some point. So we need to first be able to actually let ourselves be in the presence of ourselves, allow ourselves to actually feel the emotions running through our bodies. Which sometimes then means being really radically honest when we've reached a limit or when we don't have resources to support another person. So you and I going through grief on a very similar timeline has been a very interesting process because I I often, I, I find those moments where, you know, something comes up and my own grief around my mom is activated and I do play a tape out. Well, don't necessarily share this with Jenna right now because she's going through her own grief in that moment. And how can I make space then for what I'm feeling to be alive in addition to what Jenna's feeling to be alive? And then another complicated layer still is the desire that I have to to not see Jenna suffer, to, to be a supportive partner, to be able to show up and hold space for her grief when the reality is, 
and the honest knowing of myself that I'm still finding my way toward is there are there might be some moments where we just can't offer support to someone else. We're just not available because something is alive in us for us in that same moment. And then we have to make space for all of it. And again, here's the word expectation again, not hold ourselves up to the expectation that we squashed our feelings right back down so that we could be available for someone else. Our, what is alive for us is very much real for us. And it, it is important because what happens when we show up for someone else, even if we're going through our own emotional time, even if we don't have the resources, we don't actually hold ourselves responsible. We don't see the role or the choice we made to say, you know what, Nicole, your feelings aren't valid right now or aren't as important as Jenna's. We over time hold Jenna responsible or hold the other person. Um, so it's really knowing what we're feeling and how available we even are in any moment. And that's not to say that, you know, a day later, a couple hours later, even, you know, when my emotion has, has subsided and I come back into balance. And then of course I can make myself available to someone else. But again, here's where expectations come to play. When we expect ourselves to be supportive of the world around us, when we have our own limits, it is not your job or anyone's job to support someone else 24-7. It's actually not your job to support someone else at all. It's your job to support yourself first. I know for me, my own experience, my own life is, is my greatest experiment, really. When I am in the depths of pain or when I'm in my own grief, you know, I have an option. I could let the world and my pain and suffering make my heart hard and close it off. Or I can do what I choose to do, which is return to the very thing that I am, to, to love, to be love itself, to embody that. And when I become that, when I allow my pain to actually make me softer, to open me up more, it allows me to connect deeper to myself and then to those around me. And I get to look in those moments when my heart is aching like it has been for the past few weeks, the past few months, this morning especially, and I can see what is it that I need right now? What would make the most difference to me without casting an expectation of that to anyone else? This isn't, well, I'm sharing it with you on a podcast, though this is thoughts for me. This isn't for anyone else right now. I do go into moments, even this morning, where I explore what is it that would have me feel so supported right now? Because oftentimes I don't even know, and it changes minute to minute. There is one moment where the best way that I'm going to need support is to simply be held, not to be told that it's okay, because it certainly doesn't feel okay in that moment, though to just silently be seen, to have my tears be acknowledged. In another moment, I may need the polar opposite. Supporting me in another moment may actually look like, you know, knowing that I'm there, loving me from afar, but giving me my space and allowing me to just be me. Those are things for me to look at and discover. Now that's me, same Jenna with two very different needs for support in different scenarios. So I also keep a very open mind with myself that there's a reason I look at myself as my own experiment. Now, each of those are ways that I could then go and love and support another also being really mindful with myself that that person may not need support that way. Lolly or Nicole might not need the same, though the only thing that I have to go from without the other person's communication 
is exploring what works for me and doing it in a compassionate, gentle way. You know, maybe if I'm not in a space personally, because I'm dealing with my own grief, or maybe I am working on a deadline and I actually don't have the time and space to be present with Nicole or Lolly or what they need, maybe I leave them a little sticky note or a love note somewhere, or maybe I send them a text. Or maybe if I knew Nicole was going to go take the trash out later, maybe the trash is already taken out. I can find other ways that actually don't involve interaction with the person at all. So for all of you who may not be in a space to hold space for another person's emotions or big feelings, if you're not there to be with that, that's perfectly okay. Another great way to support is to simply spend time in your own mind considering the other person the other person's existence and reality, and maybe finding things that you could do to take away from their to-do list or ways that you could just slip in your love and support without actually ever having to cross paths with them. I love that you're bringing this up, Jenna. It's this concept of what my mind is calling love from a distance and love, you know, coming from, as most of us located in our heart space, actually can travel through all of distances. And of course, this conversation can segue us into you know, when we do find suffering or hear of suffering from other corners of the world, from people that we're not physically connected to, even outside, of course, of our loved ones that we you know, can't be available to for whatever reason, a lot of us can't be available because of distance, because of not knowing these humans. And then the question that frequently has been coming up, especially with what's going on globally, is how can I support? And when we talk about our heart and love at a distance, our heart is the most energetically powerful organ in our body. It sends out signals at a greater distance than even our brain. And there's been actually incredible research and studies of thinking loving thoughts in meditation, in a quiet moment, calling up a loved one you know or a group of people you don't yet know and thinking about them from a loving, compassionate space, maybe even picturing as I love your suggestion always, you know, a, a light around your heart. And when you're holding someone in love in your heart, even across a great distance, there are energetic messages that person can feel. It's why those of us who are of a religious tradition, you know, we engage in acts of prayer. That's what prayer is, holding an idea in mind and usually thinking loving or compassion or supportive thoughts, um, wishes, wants, desires for this person. And the reason why we pray, those of us who do, is because those messages do travel. So love at a distance can be when you and I are in different rooms because we're each going through something separate and love at a distance can be those heartfelt thoughts and prayers that we send to people all over the world. And that too, it can be for some of us, the most greatest support that we receive. And receiving it means a conscious choice to choose receiving it, to choose feeling it. You know, we could have the whole world holding their hands over their heart, seeing this beautiful glowing light streaming from their heart to the rest of the world, even to a singular person. And if that singular person is sitting there doubting it, not feeling it, you know, just questioning it all, they're not going to receive it the same way. They're not going to tune in and feel it. It's there for them. Imagine yourself, your human avatar, just walking through the world. And as I always imagine, you know, we are in our own little orb. We have all of our own weather around us. Well, from each of our hearts, we quite literally do have a force field that is radiating outward. I know many of us 
can feel this. We feel this in pings, that coincidence that you have, or that person that just called you out of the blue after five years when you were just thinking of them and hadn't talked to them at all. I really don't believe that there are coincidences at all. I think that we are, and I know that we are such powerful beings that we do put all of that into our place. So when we see the rest of the world aching, when we see our friends and family, anyone external to us, I always remind myself, and it gives me so much solace to come back to, that all of the external, all of these people, these beings that I love outward of my human avatar body are actually just as easily accessed internally. And Jake's death has been such a profound real life example and teaching of this for, you know, it didn't take Jake dying for me to really get this or feel this though it has been exemplified 500,000 times because there is no lack of Jake's presence still. I can still talk to Jake. I can still feel Jake to the point where, you know, my spiritual self and this human self really kind of are at war sometimes or in this conflict because, you know, I'll be aching and I I always want to go to say something when I'm crying, like validate why I'm crying. It'll be like, oh, I just want to talk to him. But I stop myself because then this little voice comes in and it's like, well, you can talk to him. I talk to him on a daily basis and I hear him talking back. So really the only thing that's there for me to feel quite literally is the aching and the pain, though that connection to him, feeling his heart space still within my heart, knowing that his human body is now eight feet underground in upstate New York, yet he is still very much still here because the essence and the energy that is Jake, that is the soul and the being of Jake, that didn't go anywhere. You know, when clouds are in the sky, they don't disappear. They turn into raindrops, they fall into the ground, the ground absorbs it, and then it precipitates back up into the air. So same with fire or wood, you break something down, you burn it, well, wood turns to ashes. Those ashes go back into the earth. Nothing actually disappears. We are all one universal being, one universal energy. And when you really zoom out and get that concept, which I know can sound a little out there for some people, though when you really understand that nothing truly disappears, it only ever changes form, then you can really start to grasp the interconnectedness that we do all already have. So then it makes perfect sense that, oh, absolutely, I can close my eyes and envision this beautiful light around my heart space being sent from here to there. That doesn't actually require any more proof than my own word and my own existence and feeling of it. As we see, you know, compassionately see all of these parts of ourself, our suffering in someone else and their experience, it really does at our core unify us. Um, we That is going, again, back to the definition, when you use the word connection, right, as part of the definition of support. At our core, we are connected. There is no solo human. We can have humans that are conditioned out of fear um, to live very much a solo life. Back to, you know, the journey I was sharing, not ever sharing my emotional world had me feeling very alone, though ultimately the journey is back to that interconnectedness, back to that that aspect of being human that really does unify us. Even if you're, you know, looking at a community of individuals that look very different from you, that are living in 
you know, an environment very different from you that are maybe going through something very different from you. Each time we can find the similarity, we can find the unity of the human experience. And ultimately we can then be supportive in that presence, in that acceptance of someone's shared humanity. And that human experience is really our soul. That is our unique essence. You know, I'm looking at Nicole's physical self right now. Now, if I were to take Nicole and open her up, I would see lungs, I'd see ribs, I would see all of the organs in a body. I'd see the same thing that you see in most human bodies. Now, what I wouldn't see is the essence of Nicole. Nicole has a human body. She has a human shell. But where is the Nicole that makes Nicole Nicole? Where's the Jenna that makes Jenna Jenna? Where's the Furcon that makes Furcon Furcon? You can't see that. We are all these same human beings walking around, all with blood running through our veins, yet we have this invisible essence, this soul, this spirit, this self that you can't define, that you can't see, that you can't take away. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. It can only shift and morph in form, which we see when people do die. So bringing this conversation very beautifully full circle, when we talk about support, right? We talk about that inner knowing, knowing the wholeness of ourself, our suffering, our difficulty, learning how to share that in connections to allow ourselves to be supported through communication, through receiving what is available to us. Even if it doesn't meet our expectation, as we so imagine in a given moment, allowing people to support us if and when they can. Finding that wholeness in ourself then allows us to play the role of support to someone else, to hold the space, compassionate understanding, not to have an expectation that someone look a certain way for me to be available to them, to, to be supportive in a moment, and to know my limitations, to know when I'm not available to support another person. Ultimately, and something I continue to struggle with myself is to live into that flow of life, the cycles that are different for each of us. Some of us might be going through something very painful, suffering in a given moment that needs active support. Someone else might be going through that in the same moment and someone else might not. And then those roles might reverse entirely. And it's learning how to flow through life in relationship, not only with you know me and you and Lolly as the core relationship we are, but in relationship with humanity and with other humans that look different, that are living different experiences and that are suffering in different ways at different times. An important thing to keep in mind about expectations, which we have mentioned a few times in this episode, there's nothing wrong with expectations. You can absolutely have them. Though if you are setting yourself up with expectations, there should also be a knowing or an expectation itself that your expectations may not be met. Just because you cast an expectation on another does not mean that it then becomes their role or their job or their responsibility to fulfill or meet that expectation. One more thing that I remembered from a member saying actually in one of our live events recently for the self-healer circle. And when we're talking about support and I'm realizing, you know, there's a lot of people that maybe we're no longer connected to or that we no longer communicate with or we've placed a boundary. And a lot of the conversation and what this person was in particularly saying was talking about a friendship or a relationship that they've lost and mourning that loss. And just as I was speaking with Jake, you know, 
Jake is dead. Jake definitely died. And he, he changed form for me. He morphed into a new form. He's not lost. He can't actually, you know, you can't rid his soul. Well, it's the same when our relationships change or when we lose another person. A great reframe for that or that I like to use is in reality, while a relationship may have ended, you have not actually lost the other person. They are still in the existence of this lifetime, whether still in a living, breathing human avatar or transitioned and died, they're still here in the same orb, in the same orbit, in the same lifetime as you. So quite literally, there is not a limit to anyone or anything that you can choose to show up in support for or choose to call on and send love for. All of that begins with your own self in your own heart space, which happens to be where every other being in this universe also resides with you. So for everyone out there who is going through their own difficult experiences, living through suffering or or catastrophe, my promise to you is to continue to do the work, to heal, to be so connected to my heart space that I can embody love, that I can be a living representation of what love is, whether or not I'm in your physical proximity or you're in my heart as I'm sending you my loving energy, that that is the work, I believe, is to return to that oneness, to return to who we are, all are at our core, which is loving, supportive creatures. We have evolved as a species due to cooperation, due to connection. And that is why we show up here week after week and have these conversations. And we put out all of the free resources that we do on across all of the social media platforms. And we have the self-healer circle because that's how, as I, as I often say in the circle, the ripples happen. When we each as humans, as individual souls, return back to the love, then I truly believe we make the greatest impact in the world. Even if we're not you know, close in proximity to those that we're supporting, we become a supportive creature on this planet. I see us all as one massive collective heartbeat and I would challenge each of you listening to, you know, in response to your own personal tragedies, to world tragedies, when catastrophe does strike, when tragedy does strike, I challenge you to keep your heart open. It's very easy and there's a lot of opportunity in the world to close your heart off, to make your heart hard, especially when it feels the depths of such pain. It makes so much sense to imagine, you know, even last night I was holding Lolly and thought, oh my gosh, I'm really proud of myself for choosing to love because I can't imagine if anything were to happen to Nicole or Lolly or anyone I love, I would be destroyed. And then I reminded myself in that moment, well, look how much you love Jake. He died. You feel destroyed, but you're not destroyed. And instead of closing myself off, I understand that to love is the greatest risk. So Our challenge to you is to stay open, to stay soft, to really tune in. And remember, too, that love needs to go to you first. I need to be proud of and love Jenna and little Jenna first before I even have an ounce of anything authentic to give to Nicole or anyone around me. So from us to you, we love you with the entirety of our hearts, knowing that our heart is also the same shared heart with you. And we look forward to seeing you guys on our next episode next week. We also invite you to watch these episodes. We're doing a little set redo. So next episode, 
episode, we'll have a whole new set Though we do have the video version of these with closed caption on our YouTube channel for Self Healer Soundboard. We also have the Self Healer Soundboard Instagram account and then Nicole's Holistic Psychologist, our page and at Jenna Weekland. So all of those places, please come leave us comments. We love chatting, interacting with you guys and look forward to being with you next week.